Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Alf Malhotra here, your host at Straight Talk. Once again, we are at a very, very important stage in our mission to accelerate awareness, to spread knowledge to over a million people in the world, and do that in a democratized way. And uh, today's discussion, today's episode, is with a very important individual who is no, uh, no, um, uh, for many people, uh, you know, an expert and uh, a familiar name in the field that he uh, is a specialist in. And for many of us, his specialism and what he does is going to open our eyes to um, some of the things that we often forget when it comes to human development, health development, how we live our lives, how we manage stress, how we uh, augment our lifestyles for a better existence. And, uh, the gentleman on the show today is a doctor, we, Dr. Alicio Fasano, who I will read here, apart from being, of course, the author of Gut Feelings, this, that's his book, uh, The Microbiome of Our Health. He's also professor and director at the Mucosal Immunology and Biology Research Center at Mass General Hospital in the United States. Uh, he's advancing innovation at a rapid pace with his research, uh, his um, experience in clinical care and education that he um, is pioneering uh, at, at the hospital, especially around looking at how one can improve their quality of life um, if you are enduring celiac disease and other gluten-related disorders. Uh, he's also the founder and director of the Center for Celiac Research and Treatment at Mass General. Um, and uh, for, for, for in Boston, and he oversees um, uh, a lot of uh, practices and um, you know uh, support for um, teams that are supporting children uh, and adults who suffer from celiac disease. It's an awful, it's an awful condition. We all will know someone who has that condition, uh, as well as other autoimmune uh, chronic inflammatory conditions, which unfortunately I'm uh, a veteran in. And so this is personal for me. It's not just an informative, informative exercise. It's, um, it's a learning exercise for me personally, because I probably need to change my life in some way, shape or form. Thanks to the advice um, this gentleman is going to give us. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Fasano, how would you like me to re refer to you? Dr. Fasano or Alessio, what do you prefer? Alessio, Alicia, thank you for coming on our show. You're a very, very important man, a busy man, and a game changer. So I'm privileged to have you on the show. I will start by going right into it. We're going to go right into it because there's this huge brain and experience base that you have and your lived experience that I'm going to try and selfishly take loads from. Uh, but I'm going to start by just setting the scene. As you all know, who's, you know, who our fans listening to our show, we have four important themes we care about. You, you know, I won't repeat all of them, but uh, right the way from digital world order to being human. And um, Alicia said to me right at the beginning of the show, he said, listen, Af, I, I've explored what you're doing. And I want to talk about the intersection between what I'm doing and everything else that you've covered, because they're all important, because it starts from the foundations of why something is the way it is. And I think it's it's important to do that. So I'm, I'm grateful that uh, you've done your research too, and you're going to be able to set the scene here. So my first question really for you is, tell us about, um, and we start with the personal stuff, Alicio, usually, because it's important to know who you're talking to before you jump the gun, you know? Uh, so tell us a little bit about who you are. I know you're in the States, obviously. And um, how did you get to the States? Have you, were you always there? What's your, what's your backstory just for a moment? How did you end up being the person you are in this field of study? 
this is going to be an unglamorous story, but you know, again, uh, I believe that would be much more um, appealing and, and, and tangible to understand and bring down to the grounds. You yeah, know, the personal story. Um, I am a pediatric gastroenterologist by training. Uh, when I was in medical school uh, in Naples, because I'm Italian, uh, and I did my training there. I was in this state of mind of save the world. And for me, save the world was, you know, kids, because I was very much interested in pediatrics. And I went to, um, you know, one of the professors of my schools, and they say, to save the world, I need to uh, be focused on cancer. HIV was starting at that point. I, right. I said, I will do research in that area and help you know, alleviating this aggravation in terms of, uh, you know, impact on, on kids' health. And the fellow said, you sure can do that. But if you really want to make a difference, you should be focused on diarrheal diseases. And I said, what are you talking about? This is not that, you know, glamorous, diarrheal diseases. This this is something that will not make a difference. And they said, you know, with all due respect, we lose 5 million kids a year on diarrheal diseases, mainly due oh. to infection like cholera, uh, like Shigella, Salmonella, and so on and so forth. And of course, that, you know, sparkled my interest. And the following few years, I was focused on trying to understand that the mechanism of how the intestine works mm. and how these microorganisms cross talk with us to mm. lead to this clinical outcome. And again, in my naive approach, at a certain point, I told my boss, listen, um, I think that I know everything that I need to know about the gut. I need to know a little bit more about the microorganism. Otherwise, this cross talk is not very clear to me. Right. And it's like, you know, the only way to do that, you got to go to the United States and you need to go to a place in which they deal with this microorganism. They know the ins and outs at that beginning. I mean, human genome was not even in the thinking, but the, the, the genetic editing of mm. stuff cutting and pasting was was at the very beginning said so you got to go there there is a place that's called the center for vaccine development and you can learn a little bit more about the bacteria and how they interact with us what to do about it so on and so forth so i went with a a three months you know scholarship to baltimore that translate right. in three years um to develop a vaccine against cholera and I was given the task to develop a attenuated live vaccine because that would induce a much better response um, by taking the weapon that we knew at that time uh, that was, um, you know, this toxin that can really be very dangerous that will make people to die because right. the purge of water that comes out. I did everything under the sun. I did the, the, the experiments. I cut the, the genes, the pasting, uh, the, the, the animal models. Bottom line, at a certain point, we reached the point that this can give, be given to volunteers, meaning medical students. Right. That right. for a relatively, you know, important amount of money, $350, will have three chances to get placebo, so they will not get sick. To get my vaccine, and I reassure them that they will not get sick or get the real deal cholera, but we will take care of them. Uh, will be time. So, long story short, we did this trial and went miserable, miserable. Right. Right. I mean, you know, the kids that they got the vaccine uh, didn't got the thirty liters of diarrhea of the ones they got the real deal, but I got seven eight liters of diarrhea that was unacceptable as a vaccine. So, oh my god, literally flesh 
to the toilet. That was wow. the, the story. Wow. Wow. And then I got drunk a couple of days. I stay home. And then <laughs> the blackboard again said, why? And yeah. in studying, you know, what else this microorganism was doing, I discovered a new toxin that made the intestine to gut leak here. So increased the permeability of the gut. Um, and uh, with that, you know, I start to understand, try to understand why we have such complex machinery to make the gut leak. And right. I reasoned, you know, eventually cholera was smart enough to mimic something that we do for a living. Yeah. And I discovered 2000 a molecule is called zonulin. That, that's yeah. what it does, modulate yeah. gut probability. And then the following 20 years, not me, but, you know, the entire scientific community linked this to a variety of chronic inflammatory diseases, including autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative disease, cancer, and so on and so forth. The rest is history. So F, mm. that's why wow. I'm here, because yeah. of fatal vaccine. Yeah. Can I say one, one or two things? I want to just comment on what you've just said. I took a few things away from it in terms of life lessons. I think the first thing was, of course, when you are on a mission, to um, a purpose-driven mission where you want to try and solve a problem because you believe it is impacting, in this case, there were children who died, 5 million, where it's impacting society, communities, civilization in some way. Uh, that is, it's, it's a very important realization because we talk a lot about purpose on the show. And sometimes people don't know what that means. In fact, I get a question saying, how do I know when I found my purpose? It might sound odd to you because of the field you're in, but for people who are not in fields that are directly connected to life and death, it is, it's odd. But that's one thing I picked up. You were clear about your purpose. The other thing actually is failure. Uh, that was brilliant because, uh, you know, when something goes terribly wrong and it happens all of the time, I mean, that's the, that's the basis of experimentation. It is called experimentation because there is a high probability it won't work. And it's very important to realize that as human beings, because I know you'll talk about state of mind and other factors that affect the gut as well. But I think the programming of the mind and the way we look at our lives, the busyness of our lives, city lives, you know, urban lives and stuff, we've lost sight of some of these realizations where a failure and, um, you know, the, the, the loss and disappointment that comes from it is a default it's just the default. And so it is just, it's almost certain it's going to happen. It's not uncertain. It's not uncertainty. It's certainty that you're going to fail. Um, but you end up at this point where you are now. So you wrote this book. Can I make yeah. two comments on please, what you just please, said? Please. Remember, I'm <clears throat> important for the general audience here. Um, science is a constellation of failure with very few successes. We only read the success. Nobody wants to know the number of experiments didn't work or yeah. they failed, they went the wrong directions and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, what you read in the newspapers or in the <clears throat> scientific article are that few successes. Yeah. And the second thing is, and this applies to everybody, you will not remember your successes. They will brush it off, but you will remember your failures. Those are the building block of growing as a human beings because that lesson learned, you make that mistake and you make sure that you don't do that again. So much more impactful the mistake that you make in life than the successes. That's my my personal opinion. Yeah, it's be beautifully said and a very important reminder for many people who are enthralled and caught up in success, you know, because that's what is defined these days as being uh, the pinnacle of, of existence. 
Um, so that's great. So that's a really interesting background. And now you're at Mass General. You wrote this book in 2022, and that caught my. Is that correct? 2022, you wrote the book. It released. Yep. Okay, and you you did write it. I must recognize uh, Susie. Uh, Flaherty, you wrote it with her as well. Yep. And uh, something uh, triggered in my mind. I'll share it with you. I'm just expressing my thought. As soon as I saw the date of the book, I always like to look at the date of the book and I look at the number of pages. It, it triggers it triggers a few things in my head. They're not correlators or, or you know, they don't mean um, what I'm going to say to you necessarily, but they do give me a sense of the depth and the detail and the complexity the complexity of what you're covering here. The 500 pages is a lot of pages, of course, and so it's not an overnight read, that's for sure. I can tell you that much myself. The timing of your book, I have to tell you, is excellent from my humble perspective, because I always believe in life, I've failed many times and been through many traumas. Um, a great remedy at the wrong time is not really going to change the world, unfortunately, with saying it diplomatically, as in there'll be zilch value. But your book is very well-timed because coming out of COVID, and I'll ask you for your view because you're the expert, it feels as if through all of my dialogues and all of our research, um, there have been some good things coming out of COVID in terms of the betterment of society, new habits, new values, uh, new uh, you know ways of looking at home life, work life, and so on and so forth. And there've been some um, terrible things that have happened uh, because of COVID as well. Tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book. I mean, why did you have to write it and why did you feel you needed to write it now? I didn't want to write it. It was a daunting operation. And, um, you know, um, I was approached by the publisher, MIT Press, and said, you know what, it is time to to write a evidence-based scientific book on microbiome. There are starting popping up a lot of fantasies out there, but not factual and mm. people that are not really experts in the field. And we believe that, you know, it's time to put a little bit of order on right. a very dynamic field. And we believe that you're the right person to do that. And I said, listen, this is a this is this is not the right time to write this book because you know we are in a very exponential growth of the field is too dynamic, you know. Uh, imagine this, Af. Uh, at the time, we had an average of four or five hundred papers a day published on wow. the microbiome. So, in a matter of week, what was written the week before was obsolete. I said you write a book that's there for ages there, and you know it's going to be obsolete by the time that we finish. And the fellow said, listen, there must be some foundational information that you can put forward mm. so that, you know, no matter how the, 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 the field progresses, this will still be, you know, acceptable. So Susie and I, we sat down and said, well, are we up to this? And, mm. uh, you know, eventually we started. This was before COVID. And, you know, the, the as all the publishers said, you know, you have a deadline and you got to give me this book by this deadline. And, um we 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 tried to you know uh, respect it and then we did give the book and the rule was you do not touch this book ever again now it's only cosmetic and covid kicked in and right. i told him i said well, you cannot publish this book without allowing us to talk about covid so here we go again in here, this chapter here, this chapter there, we have to add this information and so on and so forth. And you are absolutely right. 
there were a lot of bad things that happened during COVID. I was a first responder and I would never have imagined in my wildest you know, hypothesis to be in a war zone because that's what it was Boston at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a pediatrician. I've been taking care of 80 years old people, terminal you know, disease on, 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 on the ventilator. I felt like a doctor on a war zone. I, I mean, that was unimaginable. So definitely bad things I've seen and experienced. But the good thing is that we, at least in my very personal experience with COVID, we as a society cut on this fast track and losing some fundamental, important social and interpersonal relationship. Mm-hmm. And COVID allow us to get off the train and slow down. And I, yeah. put back in perspective, where are the priorities in life? That is not making money, become famous, uh, be uh, super efficient, uh, uh, you know, and and, and the, the interpersonal relationship mm. became a little bit more apparent to spend more time with your family, with your kids, mm. um, you know, in other words, resetting the priority in different ways. Also, when you experience death firsthand at that level, we had hundreds yeah. of people dying every day. So um, back to the book, when, when we, you know, uh, eventually locked everything that was published, you're right, by serendipity, that is my favorite English word, uh, end up to be written at the right time, at the right place, with the right people. And I have to say that, you know, the publishers was was correct. I mean, some fundamental information there would not change. The, the mm. details of how this progress will, of course, mm. and what is be the practical impact mm. but the fundamental you know information um will be there for a while mm. talking about fundamental and foundational information I, I know this is probably going to be uh elementary for you but it's important many people on this show again this is about awareness it's about accelerating awareness many people on this show may or may not pick up the book and read 500 pages some might open it read one chapter and put it down and this is what's happening these days anyway our attention span has reduced a lot so people might actually use it as a reference guide to some extent, you know, maybe go to a chapter and say, well, that's interesting and close it or read a summary or whatever it may be. Nevertheless, what's very important, which needs to come across on this show today is people need to understand uh, why it's important to um, be aware of what is a microbiome and what is this thing about the gut? And we all know about it. You know, we all have, oh, you know, IBS or celiac, or someone's got some other condition, or someone's got phlegm, you know, someone has a dairy intolerance, and it goes on, the list goes on and on and on and on, as you as you probably know. The whole food supply chain has a lot to do with it. Of course, I'm sure you know that, and you'll educate us on it. Can you, in, in the simplest way possible, um, you know, which is horrible to say to someone who is an expert, help us understand how does the gut work, and why should anyone even care about the microbiome? Okay, to do this correctly, I need yeah. to give a, a little bit of background, very short. Yeah. Not a bio- no, that's fine. It's fine. Why this attention to microbiome? How did they all start it? Okay. okay. Um, many years ago, we embraced what was the Human Genome Project. And I know that it's been discussed on this podcast by yeah. other speakers and so on and so forth. Why we did that? Because we were convinced that if we, you know, resolve the entire human genome, we will have the key to resolve all the disease in humankind. At that time, the paradigm was one gene, 
one product, mean one protein, one disease. Okay. It took 30 years and billions and billions of dollars to finish the human genome project to realize that the unthinkable, that genetically we're extremely rudimental. We're made on only 25, 29,000 genes. Um, so not definitely enough to explain all the disease of humankind. Um, I say rudimental because a worm that we used to go fishing has 75,000 genes, three times more than we do. Uh, plants like, uh, you know, wheat that has the gluten that is the offending material for people with serious disease, other gluten-rich, are under 50,000 genes. Granted, we were not supposed to be, you know, on the top of the chain because it took a meteor shower to whip it up the dinosaurs. And there we were able to get it off the tree and become, you know, the ones that built the Colosseum mm -hmm. and the Eiffel Tower, the, uh, you know, all nine yards. But again, genetically speaking, we are not that sophisticated. And that did not explain the complexity of the matter. What happened at that time was that microbiology, going back to the beginning of this chat that I had with you, hmm. when I went to Baltimore, the only way to study microorganisms is to look them under a microscope or to cultivate that in a, in a flask. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, now the technology that was developed with the Human Genome Project allow us to get rid of that rudimental and ultra-centenary techniques and forward in 21st century. So in other words, mm -hmm. look at the entire ecosystem of the microbes, not under the microscope, not uh, you know with the culture, but with genetics, using the technique that you will use for human genome project. And what we appreciate is that the, the wealth of microorganisms that we are submerged in, it's yeah. much more complex. Uh, what we were looking was the tip of the iceberg, the 5% of this complexity. So a new world opened up. And so we understand that we are immersed in these microorganisms. We mm -hmm. have even more microorganisms than our own cells. If we will be able to see them, we will be discussed. I am not talking with half. I'm talking with a, a wealth of microorganisms that we without and make half whatever he is. Mm. Uh, and, and again, the most complex ecosystem that we have in our body is in the gut. Mm. Meaning that we have, you know, of course, you know, microorganisms on the skin. We know that we have microorganisms in the airways and general urinary tract, but the more complex ecosystem, the one that impacts the most on our health, right. is for several reasons. One, the gut is the largest interface that we have with the environment. We see the skin because it's mm. visible, mm. but the GI tract is 50 times more expanded as an interface with the environment. If you take your gut, my gut, you stretch on a, on, on a floor, it takes a double tennis court. It's mm. 200 square meters. It's, it's huge. So mm. it's the largest way that we interact with the environment. And this interaction, how this all goes, depends on this microbiota or microbiome. What is that? It's this community of microorganisms that live in the if everything goes well, in a friendly relationship with us, what we call a symbiotic relationship. And to bring this to a clear understanding, it's like a farm with different animals. Mm -hmm. We have cows, we have horses, we have pigs, ships, chicken, and we want a farm with different animals because this will serve our need right. in terms of the economy of the farm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what makes 
the microbiome was so interesting. So this ecosystem that is made by bacteria, bacteria, viruses, parasites, archaea, and so on and so forth, is that this relationship implies a crosstalk all the time. So mm -hmm. we discuss our well-being with this, you know, ecosystem, with this microbiota. And what they're capable to do, and this has been revolutionary, mm -hmm. is that this discussion is on the genetic ground. So in other words, the microbiota is capable to decide if, when, why, and how our genes will be put in motion to switch from, let's say, genetic predisposition to a clinical outcome. This has been revolutionary because, again, in the past, we were under the impression that if F has the gene to develop an autoimmune disease 20 years ago, you can do anything about this. That was destiny. Right. The acceleration of this um, chronic inflammatory diseases that we have seen in the past 30, 40 years, and only the people that embrace a Western lifestyle, not in India, yeah. not in North Africa, but in Europe, in North America, in Australia, you know, implies that cannot be the genetic mutation to be responsible for this acceleration. At that time, the paradigm was you need only two things. You right. have to be genetically predisposed and you need to be exposed to something in the environment that put in motion your genetic predisposition. Yeah. They're, they're, they're necessary, but not sufficient. Because how do you explain it? In 30, 40 years, we see this huge increase yeah. in autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer and, and you know, uh, uh, dementia and Parkinson, uh, uh, cancer, you know, allergic diseases and so on and so forth. The genetic takes generation for, you know, um, accumulating mutations that are responsible for these kind of changes. Right. And this is only one generation. So there was something else. Mm. And this was that we change our lifestyles so impactfully in such a short period of time that that friendly relationship with the microbes has been put off balance. And because the microbes are capable to communicate with us, now right. this imbalance translates in a much more frequent switch from this genetic predisposition to clinical outcome. What I explain is what we call technically epigenetics. So the crisp uh, editing of the genes is something right. that officially do by mutating the gene or making the gene do our different things. Microbes, they do this all the time. Right. They don't, they don't do anything else but instructing our genes how to eventually turn on and turn off. And that will dictate our destiny. That's the reason why taking care of our microbiome, particularly our gut microbiome, will really dictate our destiny. And you know, we are in the verge to understand that this crosstalk mm. and what went wrong if you embrace a Western lifestyle mm. in terms of accelerating these chronic inflammatory diseases. So mm. this is the concept of the microbiome. This is the concept of epigenetics. And that's the reason why we better take care of this community, because if we take care of them, they would take care of us. Yeah. Beautiful. What a fantastic summary. That's that you you did your best to simplify it for the masses. And I think you did a, a wonderful job because I've got a lot of questions for you as a result. So few observations. I come from an Indian origin, right? So originally from India, parents are from India and so on. And so I'm I'm aware of naturopathic diets. I'm aware of Ayurveda, 
right? Ayurvedic diets, Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedic diets, and so on and so forth. And I'm sure this is something that you've looked at in studies as well. And it's phenomenal because certain spices and certain herbs um, and condiments Haldi or turmeric is a good example with pepper in or pepper. When they come together, they're like, whoa, they can really help you massively. And many, many others uh, that, you know, I tend to use regularly, Thrifla, um, there is Amla, there are various others that some people would have never heard of. And now it's becoming popular because Western alternative, um, well, commercial uh, you know, uh, supplement providers have discovered this and put them into little capsules or pills and then sell them for a lot of money to the masses, right, in the West. And even then, those dosages are a joke because actually they've been massively diluted and the compounds aren't as pure as you you, you could get from the source, for example. So this is a different discussion. But um, I also notice in, and I'm taking the conversation in a slightly different direction because you talked about the West. So I do want to talk about the East momentarily. And you are right. The East may not have the severity of problems at the pace at which you're referring to. I agree. However, I must say that the pace at which that awareness is changing and diminishing uh, in the new generations in countries like India, where 600 million people in India are under the age of 28, 28 the young people, and their diet is, uh, is influenced massively by the American uh, way of doing things. So American startup revolution is cool. And so is having Domino's pizza when you're working at nine o'clock at night, which of course is everywhere in the major cities uh, in in India. And I'm not saying Domino's pizza is bad. It's not That's not what we're saying here. So I don't want to get sued for it. But um, what we're really saying here is that the food chain, which I want to just get your perspective on, um, something's going, gone, gone wrong there. Now, for example, I have an intolerance to dairy. I've been drinking dairy all my life. In fact, I survived on dairy. I love it. Now I can't tolerate it. And it's got worse. It's got worse. So I'm taking alternative milk, whether that's good or bad. I don't know. Tell me a little bit more about your awareness of the, as you talk about lifestyle, you talk about environment, you know, that's a climate environment, realism, so, you know. So food. I believe there have been three yeah. epochal changes in okay. human evolution that brought us wherever we are. Right, okay. One was the advent of agriculture. 10,000 years ago, mm. we moved from a nomadic lifestyle to settler by domesticating crops and animals. This was a good thing because, of course, before that, Gathered hunters spend 95% of the time of procurement of food and 5% of reproduction. No time to do anything else. Right, right. Once you free up the time for food procurement because you domesticate the crops and animals, um, now you have the time to think and be creative and, and building stuff and so on and so forth. And you build the civilization as we know. Hmm. The second epochal changes happened with urbanization, hmm. meaning that now, while in the past, when I say in the past, F, I'm talking about your grandparents, hmm. not God knows how long ago. Yeah, Everybody was farmer producing their own stuff. And they, if they produce more of something, they exchange with a neighbor farmer that produced more of something else. So everybody was consumer and producer at the same time. Now, Correct. with your organization, you have consumers. They Correct. cannot produce anything. <clears throat> yeah. So the farmer needs to step up and produce for themselves and for the people that are living in the cities mm. uh, that do not produce 
any 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 goods. Hmm. And that was not a good thing because with that came to pollution, came with you know the massive production of stuff and so on and so forth. But the kiss of death in the West Hemisphere, you know, came with the globalization. Now, multinational companies took over the production of goods. So, and they, in a few ends, now you have this massive production. We have very few farmers, the way that we're, you know, I'm talking about Western hemisphere, that the way that we intended in the past. So they cannot compete with this huge, you know, multinational, um, uh, uh, you know, companies that produce massive amount of stuff. And when you do that, you compromise on quality. You compromise the way that you grow your crops. If you lose 10% of your crops with this massive production, that will be a disaster. And you mm-hmm. do whatever it takes to avoid that. Use chemicals, you know, mm-hmm. use whatever, you know, uh, in some countries, GMOs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the question being that the key elements that make us to survive, i.e. food, yeah, dramatically changed during these three epochal, you know, you know, changes in lifestyle. Yeah, and um, we took two million years of evolution to build an unbelievable, phenomenal car, a Ferrari that mm-hmm. will require in the tank to have super pure gasoline. All right, to perform at the best capabilities. Mm-hmm. And now what we put in the tank is water. And we wonder why we don't perform the way we're supposed to. Mm. So, you know, there are many things that impinge on the composition function, the microbiome, you know, the way that you're born, a C-section, that vaginal delivery, your mother's style before being born, that's a, she smoke drinks, you know, she lives in the urban area, rural area, pollution and so on and so forth you know, uh, antibiotic use, whatever. But these are all point, you know, conditions. We eat three, four times a day. And these microbes, they eat whatever we eat. Mm-hmm. Going back to the parallel of the farm with different animals, if we plan to have a, a thousand chicken and 10 cows, they eat different things. Now you feed them differently. And now you feed more the cows and you don't give enough food for the chicken. Guess what? You're not going to have chicken in your farm. Mm-hmm. And your farm is not balanced the way they're supposed to be. And mm-hmm. you're going to pay consequences. And that's out of metaphor. It's what has been happening. The most impactful reason why there is this surge of this condition is the fact that nutrition is radically changed over time because we don't have the time to cook because right. we junk. And of course, by doing that, we create those kind of conditions. Now, you talk about principle in the East culture, they are extremely important to keep you healthy. And this now this needs to bring another concept in the matter. Any kind of condition that you want to talk about, your, you know, uh, autoimmune disease or food allergies, um, or yeah, again, the cancer, whatever, mm. has a common denominator. And common denominator is inflammation. Right. Yeah. And the, the inflammation is what is driving this uphill, you know, situation there. So you can live in India, 
but then you embrace a, a, a Western lifestyle because you eat junk, you, you know, whatever junk you want to define, you're going to pay the same price that you live in Los Angeles. Mm. No question about that. Mm. Um, and again, the question is, we, do we want to live a better life? Yeah. Sure enough, we should not go back <clears throat> and cave and live like a caveman. That will not be conceivable. But we can have common sense to protect our microbiome because mm. if we do that, that will have dividends on our health. And again, you know, you can do that in a couple of ways, not yeah. mutually exclusive. You use principles in food or herbs or tubers or, mm. or, or roots, as mm. you, you know, it's done in the in in Eastern countries, yeah. they have anti-inflammatory properties. They can really turn on off inflammation. This right. is called nutraceutical. Nutraceutical. Okay. Nutraceutical. Okay. Um, um, but the same principle can have a beneficial impact on a composition and function on the microbiome. Put again a little bit of you know rules in the game. Mm -hmm. If you go back to inflammation and you said how do you develop that, mm. you have as you in your podcast you have four areas of interest yeah inflammation is based on five pillars okay two that we discussed already yeah genetics you have to be genetic predisposed to develop you know um uh you know lactose intolerance or, or intolerance to dairy mm -hmm. and yet be exposed to the environmental trigger in this case cow's milk yeah they're necessary <laughs> but not sufficient you gotta have three other things you have to have an increased gut permeability meaning that this stuff from the environment needs to come in your body. And the port of entrance in general is the gut. And mm -hmm. we discussed about this at the beginning of the, of the chat of this increased permeability with the zonulin that is a biomarker of this increased permeability. Yeah. You have to have a, an hyperbelligerent immune system because after all, you're talking about inflammation. So you got to have the inflammation fueled by the immune system. Right. And of course, last and not least in this the discussion we're having today, a microbiome that is off balance. Okay, yeah. And the last three, they're highly interconnected. If you have an increased gut permeability, your immune system will become hyperbelligerent. And if you have a lot of inflammation, your gut will leak more. If you have a gut that leaks, the, the, the microbiome goes off balance. And if the microbiome is off balance, it will cause gut leak and so on and so forth. So mm. if, if, okay, the five pillars are the ones that I told you are yeah. responsible for make us sick. Genetic, you can't take it out. Yeah. To a crisp, you can't, and we're not even close because many of these conditions, there are hundreds, if not thousands, genes involved, mm -hmm. and we don't know them all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Taking the environment to trigger out means mm -hmm. that you know we have to go back to a lifestyle, nobody is willing to do that. Mm -hmm. That leaves us three possibilities. Mm -hmm. One that we're going after right now, turn off the inflammation by put a break, meaning using steroids, uh, you know, biologics and so on and so forth. But you treat the consequence and not the cause. The cause is still there. Yes, correct. And you pay huge, huge, you know, price mm. by doing that. But we don't have an alternative now. Mm. Mm. The promise is to deal with the microbiome. If I can change the microbiome composition and function, I may eventually epigenetically switch off the genes that I turn on right. and 
eventually take control of my inflammatory process again. That's where we are right now. Right. We're not there yet. We're not at the point in which we know exactly how to do that, but we are creating the foundational information that you know will create the condition that we can customize through artificial intelligence that we mm. can discuss a bit how intervention to reassess my microbiome to make sure that we are in a symbiotic friendly relationship and therefore that inflammation will be turned off because the genes that drive this inflammation will be switched on or off depending what is the story there mm. until we can customize the common sense is let's eat the most healthy way possible because this is the hollow hanging fruits right now until we'll yeah. be able to have all the information to make sure that my microbiome is in balance and therefore will be helpful for me to maintain a state of health. Yeah. Can I go back to the um, the why and some of the fixes? So you talk a lot about prebiotic, probiotic, uh, postbiotic. Uh, can you just educate us on what is the difference? Because of course the common sure. person buys a prebiotic from the local shop and the most, I, I guess the decision-making is a little bit flawed. We buy the most expensive one. Oh, oh I, I bought one for $50. That's got to be much better than the one for $5. Could you help us dispel some myths, if there is a myth around this, and what should we be doing, actually, uh, in That's terms right. of ethics? Yeah. So there is a lot of myths. Um, and, of course, you know, like any time that there is a new shift of paradigm, a new field, there are people that rush into that field and try to make profit out of it, right. Right. even without having, uh, you know, the information. But let's make clear what, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Prebiotics is the food that is good for the good bacteria, the good microorganisms that will help us. So typical prebiotics are, you know, again, um, human monooligosaccharides, for example, in the breast milk. Mm -hmm. There are sugars that will feed the right microbiota that will be helpful for me. That's one of the major advantages, for example, to use, you know, to, to feed breast milk in babies because there are these this small sugars that will feed the right microbiota to keep me healthy. Right. These are the prebiotics. Yeah. Food for the good bacteria, for the yeah. good microorganisms. Probiotics are the good bacteria, the ones that help us to stay healthy, the one that put peace in this ecosystem that, you know, the gut or any other ecosystem. Postbiotics are products produced by the good bacteria. They are good for our health. For example, some of these probiotics, they use fibers that, right. by the way, are in a short supply in who embrace Western lifestyle because we don't have enough fibers in our diet. Correct. Other yeah. fibers, they may eventually produce substances like, uh, you know, short-chain fatty acids. And those short-chain fatty acids, postbiotics, are good for our health because we maintain an anti-inflammatory environment, so to speak. Right. So this is different between prebiotics probiotics and postbiotics. Okay. What you buy in the store right now are formulations based on, you know, again, this kind of information, but 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 not customized for my need. Mm -hmm. So let's say that, you know, I personally develop disease X because I lost lactobacillus, one probiotic that is, is not in my gut or in my you know lung anymore, and yeah. that will increase my risk of inflammation. If the formulation doesn't have lactobacillus, but has a bifidobacterium, that is another probiotic, that will not be good for me. So right. that's why customization 
will be important. We will right. get there, but yeah. we are not quite there yet because in order to choose the right probiotics, I need to know what is wrong with my ecosystem. Right. The diagnosis, you need to do the diagnosis. Right. I, I need to, in other words, study the microbiome. That's something that I can do in the lab. And some companies, they claim that they can do already, you know, for a, a big fee, fee yeah. uh, to you. But again, we don't have the rules yet. We don't know what, you know, what is a quote unquote normal microbiome because there is no such a thing. Everybody has its own customized pro microbiome. So this needs to be put in the concept of where you are, where you live, your sex, your age, your genetics. Then the microbiome, you know, um, composition will have a sense, and I can use that as a target for intervention right. to right. the probiotics. Why we don't get there? And again, this takes a lot of people and machine learning and artificial intelligence. Why we don't get that? The common sense is let's use natural approaches like you guys have been doing the yeast all the mm. time. Mm. So eat well using natural source of probiotics uh, like, you know, yogurt, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, use natural source of postbiotic like fermented food. Mm. These are the stuff that our grandparents and grand-grandparents, mm. without knowing what they were doing, were mm. using to ameliorate, you know, yeah. uh, problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we will be able to go in a store about the proper probiotics to treat my condition, but we're not quite there yet. Mm. Is that why sometimes, fascinating, by the way, is that why sometimes when people do take, let's say it's an amalgamation of pre-post, um, pre-pro-post, that they actually don't feel well. There's some people who say, oh, I took prebiotics. Oh, mate, you know, my stomach was bloated. I started oh, yeah. to feel sick. Uh, and then they can't figure out what's the issue. That maybe I don't have a I don't have a microbiome issue. That's what people, those are the conclusions they no, jump to. But, you know, let, going back again to the farm parallel, let's say that indeed now you have too many cows and <clears> you can eat <throat> chicken and that's the reason why you don't feel well. And you take the probiotics in which you give more cows. <laughs> you not have. Uh, yeah. you, you eat more chicken. Yeah. Uh, you don't know that. And until yeah. we got there, you know, there is no way to do it. Yeah. Do you think well, you gave a great example of the earlier trends? You know, you talked about the uh, the agriculture, urbanization, globalization, the extremities that are coming from it, and therefore that big rise in those chronic conditions and so on in the West in particular. Uh, do you think the all the treatments that are more natural, like the yogurt and you know the fermented food, maybe I, I, I'm throwing it out there. Was that okay when the severity was manageable? Right when it's okay, I mean it's fine. Just have it as a as a hygiene factor. But when the severity is really high, like you screwed up your farm to such an extent, are those treatments still powerful enough to uh, address the microbiome um, gaps that you have? So, the, 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 before that, I answer the question. There is yeah. a concept that I have to put on the table here. Okay, one thing is prevention; the other one is treatment. Okay. When the horse is already out of the barn, you know, meaning that you have a disease that now it's yeah. severe enough. Let's say that you have a cancer. Right. You can't pretend to treat this with symbiotic or probiotics or prebiotics. It's not mm. going to happen. Mm. It's, the disease went too far. It mm. is extremely complicated to manage that by manipulating the microbiome. It would not be logical because now, you know, you are a few steps remote from what the microbiome can help you with. 
So prevention, on the other hand, is something that is much more manageable in using this kind of intervention. Again, you know, before that we started, you asked me to really eventually talk about something that is hot and new. Mm. Um, you know, the, the 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 one of the major limitations of the study in the microbiome is that you know we take a population of people that are, have a disease, let's say um, type one diabetes or okay. Alzheimer's, yeah, and we study their microbiome, and then we take a a a control you know, population, same age, same sex, and so on. So they're healthy. And we start their microbiome. And we see a difference. And we put that lipophage conclusion, oh, they develop type 1 diabetes or Alzheimer because of the microbiome is different. And that's the reason why. But that's not necessarily true. Mm. The problem is that who is the chicken who is the egg? I can make the argument because I have Alzheimer, I don't eat the way that I used to or the way that a normal individual use, or because type 1 diabetes, I'm forced to not eat you know, too many sugars, mm. and that would impinge on the microbiome composition. So this is the consequence and not the cause. So the only way that mechanistically I can link the microbiome changes to a disease is to follow over time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you can't do this with Alzheimer. You should follow this individual for 70 years to see <laughs> before the onset of the disease. You need to do this with diseases that materialize very early in life. And we have done this with two conditions. One, celiac disease. You mentioned that, you know, I, that's my clinical expertise. Vast majority, not all, the vast majority of cases, they develop early in life, you know, um, in the first five years of life. The other one is autism. And, and this opened another big issue of the gut-brain axis. Wow. Okay. okay. So... If you follow these kids from birth, yeah, and you choose kids that are at risk because someone in the family already had celiac disease or, or autism, and you follow over time, you will eventually be capable to see shift of the microbiome that may eventually precede the onset of the disease and come up with the idea of what it takes to take a wrong term and switch epigenetically these genes that put, start that march from genetic predisposition to clinical outcome. But it, We've been doing this for 10 years now. So we've been doing this for a long time. Right. And I can tell you that, you know, if you take kids, for example, with this a risk for CD disease, neonates, and you start to follow them over time, some mm. of them, unfortunately, take the wrong direction and they develop the disease. Some that start from the stream, start in line, keep going and stay healthy. And you ask, is there anything that predicts what these kids will do if they take the wrong turn that will lead to the wrong final destination? And the answer is, it's the change in the microbiome. These changes happen week, month, month before the onset of the disease. Interesting. How do we know that? Because we collect huge amount of data on these kids. We know all their genome. We know all the microbiome. We know hundreds and hundreds of clinical data. We know the metabolic pathways because we studied the metabolome. Mm -hmm. And we put all this data in a machine learning, you know, digital modeling and right. mathematical modeling that tell me of all these 
hundreds of thousands, millions of data mm. that I'm putting there. Can you give me the minimal number of data that predict with great level of confidence who is going the wrong direction and who stays straight? Mm. And the answer is, believe it or not, boils down to the fact that the ones that stay healthy, they maintain a balanced microbiome. The ones that go in the wrong direction, they lose only five elements, five species of the microbiome, five. They're all probiotics, by the way. Mm. And if you don't have those, your chance to develop celiac disease is almost 90%. And we know this months before the onset of disease. Interesting. That means that once we can validate this, with larger numbers, with uh, you know machine learning, uh, yeah. you know, um, you know neural network approach, and so on and so forth, I can eventually take half son or daughter that has the risk for whatever autoimmune disease that you have in the family, doing this kind of analysis and say, oh my gosh, that deviation that predicts the wrong mm. direction, I see in the microbiome in this kid he or she is missing these kind of strains. And now I give that strains back in to mm. bring them back to the right direction so that I intercept the disease. This mm. means primary prevention of an autoimmune disease, that this will be revolutionary. But this is what we're going to see coming. Imagine if you can do this with, you know, kids with, you know, uh, autism. Yeah. Of all the huge increase that we have seen, autism is the one that worries me the most. In the 70s, it was one in 5,000. One mm -hmm. in 56. That's what we have right now. Wow. One in 56. And if you consider that the ratio male-female is four to one, the next generation, one, one boy out of four, we lose for autism. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah. There is something that is absolutely needed to be done and I believe that the microbiome manipulation would be the key to eventually ameliorate this acceleration. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, what, that's just, it's incredible. I never really appreciated the link between autism and because this is an area of study for us as well in terms of neurocognitive diversity and the microbiome. I have a question for you around um, people taking drugs and medication, right? So when you think about the destruction of the microbiome or the imbalanced environment you can create through all of the factors that we've discussed. The, the other is, of course, uh, yes, you talked about antibiotics. That's one. Of course, there's mass overusage of antibiotics all over the world. In fact, sometimes we complain here in the United Kingdom, which is where I live in London, we do complain, oh, I can't access you know, antibiotics, I have to go to the doctor, the doctor takes ages and so on. And of course, that has some downsides it's because of the system that has been created. On the other hand, I have seen systems where you can buy antibiotics from any pharmacy. Uh, pharmacy okay, it's not like on tap. And India is a good example. And also in the States, I've seen it in the United States. And so <laughs> the, the consumption of antibiotics is way higher because of course, you just don't feel, well, it's like taking a paracetamol equivalent for people. They don't even take paracetamols or you know, uh, leaves or whatever the equivalent is, you just sort of pop the antibiotics. And a lot of people, I, I mean, a lot of people know that it's a quick fix and they don't always see um, through the, they don't always, you know, go through the course. And I don't know whether 
I'd be interested in your perspective on whether people actually need to go through seven days or is two and a half, three days okay if you're feeling much better because maybe the longer you have it, the more the destruction it causes in your um, guts. So my first question really is antibiotics and microbiomes. I mean, what what is your general sense here based on evidence? So, uh, of course, you know, the discovery of penicillin that started the era of antibiotics has been revolutionary. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to demonize antibiotics. <clears throat> and if I have a kids with meningitis, by all means, you know, the yeah. balance of pros and cons is to go with antibiotics. No question about that. Yeah. Or pneumonia, of course. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't have an alternative. However, and I'm not breaking great news here, the vast majority of the infection, particularly early in life, are viral of nature. And antibiotics, they do nothing for viral infection. So right. what you do is you give antibiotics to somebody that doesn't need it, so mm-hmm. you don't fix the problem. And at the same time, you jeopardize the composition and, and you know, a function of the microbiome with tremendous consequences. Mm. So one, one of the predictors, again, of the studies that I was telling you before mm. that will make kids at risk to develop C disease is the excessive use of antibiotics. Mm. Mm. The more antibiotics you use, the more likely you may eventually develop the problem. And again, this has been described for many you know, chronic inflammatory diseases. So like any intervention that we do, it's a matter of cost-benefit ratio. Mm. I pay the price to use an anti-tomorrow drug because otherwise I would be dead if I didn't mm-hmm. do that. Mm. But I know that I will pay the price of the side effects that would be not an easy, you know, thing because right. I now put me at risk to develop severe inf- infections because <clears> I'm a break on my immune system to defend me against this infection. But once you go the cost-benefit ratio, you go for that. Same mm. story with antibiotics. If if I, if I don't treat somebody with antibiotics, I know that I will pay dear consequence because I have evidence that an infection is due to a microorganism, a bacterium, Actually, that is yeah. Yeah. by the way, to that particular antibiotic, and I've got to do that. Mm. But most of the time, we do not need this. So Mm. I'm glad that there are still in the UK a a safeguard of a healthcare professional can tell you, oh, yeah, you you deserve to take antibiotics. Well, you can just take paracetamol to control your fever. That will go away because we do its course because it's due to a viral infection. Mm. The the other thing is, talking back to the diet, One Mm. of the major problems that probably caused the acceleration of this chronic inflammatory disease is that we use antibiotics in farming, meaning to make, Mm. you know, animals to grow fast. Correct. Antibiotics and, um, you know, hormones. And so even if I've been savvy to not take antibiotics and now I eat, you know, that meat from a veal that has been or a cow that has been, mm. you know, given antibiotics to grow fast, I'm taking antibiotics at this point. So, mm. so that, that that that's part of the westernization lifestyle that brought us whatever we are right now. Mm. And last couple of questions. I know we're running out of time, but what fascinating insights. Um, going back to my the second part of my question, when someone is taking certain pills, let's say you're diabetic or you're, I don't know, you're taking certain medication for some some diseases, uh, people tend to take them every day, of course, and they live you know, at night or in the morning. And uh, I do, for example, I take a whole bunch of pills. 
And the doctors generally say, well, you know, uh, they're quite strong, so have some lansoprazole or have some omeprazole, okay? And so, um, again, one of the interesting things in the UK, it's, they don't mandate any form of probiotic, prebiotic. It's, it's not a discussion. Supplements and nothing like that is a discussion. It's not preventative at all. It's like, yeah, just take some lansoprazole if you feel a bit funny in your tummy. What's your view on, on those sorts of things versus the story around microbiome? Well, again, we ingest every day, got a zillions of microorganisms, got a zillions. Um, the vast majority are killed in the stomach because of the high acidity. Yeah. So and right. one that's on the other side, now they selectively, we decide who can stay because it's convenient for us and who can go. But once you don't have that first selection by the acidity in the stomach because you're taking antiacid like omeprazole, now there's this huge flow of microorganisms. I can't make the choice anymore. I don't have the capability to handle this huge crowd. And the chance that I develop this biosis is much, much higher. This was not appreciated until the recent past. So once again, you have an ulcer or you have a severe gastritis, by all means, you need to take yeah. a, 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 a anti-acid medication for the time that is necessary. Right. But you know, to use this in, in such a cavalier way, say, oh, you know, my tummy hurts. So maybe that I take the antiacid. Maybe that you just eat less spicy food, less less yeah. coffee. Uh, yeah. You don't cook that much. That would be a better way to handle that, that use the antiacids. Yeah. So it, it's, it's the, the bottom line. It's a matter of lifestyle. Again, we've been focused on nutrition because it's the most impactful. But, you know, the Western lifestyle is ruining our microbiome composition and function because we don't live the way that we're supposed to. We mm. don't sleep well. We're mm. too stressed out. We, we don't have a physical activity, uh, you know, a, a constant that will keep us, you know, in an healthy way. So it's not that just I eat well and that will do it. Yeah. It's the entire lifestyle that needs to change. Again, I'm not advocating to go back to the cave, but the COVID-19 gave us a, a pause of reflection to say, you know what? Probably the priority in life had been you know, changed in, in, in a way that we didn't realize. And now we give priority to stuff that may not be that important. Mm -hmm. If you ask a thousand people, what is the thing that is important in your life, your health or your wealth? I'm assuming that the vast majority say, you know what? I may be okay for now that wealthy, provided I'm healthy. Correct. And we made the wrong decision because, you know, yeah. we now, uh, I, I hope that this will change, but I've been focused always to be successful, to be uh, an entrepreneur, uh, yeah. to be competitive, no matter what. But when you sleep four hours a day, you are totally stressed out. You ruin your family because your kids they mm. don't even know who you are because they mm. see just you in a picture. Or even worse, you don't have a family, you know, around you that supports you because you're not being able to build up, you know, that kind of network um, that allows you to build a family. Or you have a family and you ruin this because it's falling apart. Mm. What good does you? Mm. I mean, you know, so I believe that. This the, the 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 best way 
or the best lesson that we can, you know, get to the disaster that we live right now is that we better take care of ourselves health-wise because, you know, it's not important to live 90 years uh, at all costs. It doesn't matter if you are live 90 years old, 30 of which on a wheelchair with two binos, and depending on somebody that pushed my wheelchair. Mm. That, that's not the way that we want to live. We mm. want to live an active life until whenever it's our destiny. Mm. And again, we didn't have the time to touch not only on the gut-brain axis, but longevity. Longevity, mm. how do you age? Aging depends on your microbiome. There are people that age very graciously, and they are active in the 80s and 90s because sure. the lifestyle yeah. take good care of the microbiome. And mm. aging, like any other things, is a matter of inflammation. Now you inflame too much, you can't repair anymore. And now you go off balance until you die. And right. there are people, they crash because they look 80 when they're 50. Yeah. So all yeah. this to say, you know, taking good care of microbiome by sleeping hygiene, physical exercise, good health, uh, not being too stressed out, um, mm. you know, build a community around you. Don't take life too seriously. Laugh mm. at yourself. Um, will make you know people to live a better life, and that's what I believe that will make also society better. Because if you live that kind of life and you put everything in perspective, we will have less wars. Um, if we have natural disaster, as unfortunately we experience mm. in Turkey and and you know in um, uh, you know uh, um, Syria, yeah, Syria, uh, you will have people flooding there and helping each other rather than making second guess, uh, who, this is my friend, this is my enemy, I don't want to go to Syria, I don't want to go to Turkey, and so on and so mm. forth. Mm. So I, I'm a little bit idealistic here, but what I'm trying to say is we lost the perspective priority in life, and going back to the four pillars of your podcast, we should take care in an interconnected way of all this. And, you know, again, making progress, it's it's natural you know, human behavior, but make right. progress to our own return with, you know, using probably, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, using probably uh, macroeconomic information, using mm. probably health and so on mm. and so forth, would make us a better society. Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. I mean, I think one of the most important takeaways uh, today for me, and of course, for many other people, t people take different things away from a conversation, I think is this circling back to uh, the basics, circling back to the basics. And I'll share something interesting with you. Many of the interviews that I've done <clears throat> with numerous experts, pretty much the most consistent message that comes out every single time is this idea of being human again. And being human means different things, but actually what it means is going back to simplicity, going back to equilibrium, stability, balance, going back to doing all of the things that make us human, not AI. And uh, it, it means removing things immediately as much as it means adding things, adding good things, removing all the things that we know are destroying us. Today's reminder around the importance of the microbiome, what's going on within us. I mean, we all complain about it, for Christ's sake. I mean, we all do. We all, someone's, someone in a room, you take 10 people, everyone's got a story about their gut. I mean, it's guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed. At some stage in the week or in the month, someone's like, oh, 
so much acidity. Oh, I have to take the antacid again. Oh, I've got a bad tummy. Oh, I've got a, you know, I've got this and I've got that. And it is to do with what you're putting in. And I think uh, you've reminded us of the scientific and the evidence that supports uh, much of this, of course, with the credibility that you have, that it makes a huge difference, uh, Alessio. Uh, I've really enjoyed, you know, sorry. Because you talk about balance with one person, you know, information so that we start with personal information, finish with that. I'm coming from Salerno, the south of Italy. There was the cradle of the school of medical Salernitana, the first medical school in the Western hemisphere. At that time, you know, medicine was a mix of religion, uh, you know, philosophy, astronomy, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but they have a principle. Health means balance. There are the four elements, you know, fire, wind, water, and, um, mm. and hearth. And, you know, when you go off balance, you are sick. And the idea is to go imbalance, to stay in the center. So that right. this, all the elements are balanced. And to do that, they already had the salmonists to understand that you take care of yourself and your surrounding. Your microbiome will suffer if you don't have a polluted water. Your microbiome will suffer because of global warming. Your microbiome will suffer if we have pandemics that are human generated. Mm. So what I'm trying to say, we're not living in a vacuum because there is a a circle of life. These microorganisms are in the soil, are in the water, are in the air. We acquire them by drinking and eating stuff, and then we release them in the environment. So if mm. we don't take care of the environment, if we don't take care of, you know, um, you know, the, the, our neighbors, if we don't take care, in other words, of this whole ecosystem, it's not that if we pollute in India, we don't pay consequences in in United States. It's not that, you know, if we don't help people in India, I, mean, I say India because you're from there, but or in Italy to make sure that they make the right choice. Everybody will pay consequences. Mm-hmm. It's not that we can compartmentalize this word. So we should take care of Mother Earth, mm-hmm. as the indigenous or Indians from the United States had very clear in mind if yeah. we want to stay well. And Mother Earth means the microbiome that is a circle of life, and therefore. Mm-hmm. We do that, um, you know, we may revert this tendency to increase inflammatory, uh, chronic inflammatory disease and we will live better life. Mm. Beautifully, beautifully summarized. And you're right, we do have to take care of Mother Earth. And, um, you know, today has been so informative, so powerful, so compelling. And you've you've articulated something that I'm no doubt is complex because of the scientific aspects of it in such a beautiful way. Many of our listeners will hopefully make a change in their lives. And this is not just about intellectual satisfaction, right? These podcasts, this is about taking some action, uh, be it in your life or someone else's life or wider, you know, to help humanity. So I've I've taken that away from today. A final thing, last few seconds, wh- what has the experience been like for you today? Of course, I'm sure you do a lot of talks, but I'd love your input or feedback on how the last hour or so has been for you. Um, you know, like everything in life, there are good doctor, bad doctor. There are good, uh, you know, lawyers and bad lawyers that were good podcaster and bad podcasters. I, I think that the, the outcome of this chat speaks by itself. Af, you are phenomenal. You know, oh, you, you. you asked the right questions. You, you, I enjoy it tremendously. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, we can discuss another five hours and more. 
Sure. But we encapsulated what I believe is our key message. I you can do that only if a journalist, if, if it's an interviewer, uh, touched the right chord. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Alicia. We'll be in touch. We will uh, definitely um, watch you and track the next book and all of your research. Uh, are you in, Are you open to people trying to discover you or find you? Have you got a website or where can people find you generally? Absolutely. Even if I don't want to, uh, <laughs> we are in a global village of communication. So we are very active in social media. And again, we do that because we really care of what is our mission to make life uh, of, of our patients and their family better. Yeah, beautiful. Excellent. Well, we will uh, push this out in the next couple of weeks. Real pleasure to see you. Thank you. If you haven't bought the book, go buy the book, read the 500 pages if you because it's so important for your life. And if you can't Reference it, go through chapter to chapter, and at a minimum, uh, start to take action around protecting you know, the gut. Uh, your feelings will be much better if you look after your gut. So thank uh, you so I, much. I want, to make, uh, I want to make the point that Susan yeah. and I have no money in this book. Whatever comes out of the selling goes back to research, so we don't make no profit okay. with that. Fantastic. That is beautiful, noble. Thank you. That's very important that you shared that because uh, people want to give back in their own way, and buying the book is giving back in itself. So I will be cheeky and I'll drop you an email and see if I'll send you a copy, if you could sign the copy for me, because for my children in the future, 25 years down the line, whether they'll enjoy books and they'll think, what the hell did dad do here? Who, who wants this <laughs> Who wants this hard copy? What is this thing? It's like the old typewriter. I still That's want right. to keep that as a memory. <laughs> yeah, All exactly. Right. So I'll reach out to you, but thank you so much, Alicio. It's been a real pleasure. Look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, keep yourself happy and well, and thank you for all your knowledge. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.